Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. We're back again. <laughs> Made it through six years. What's another episode? <laughs> I think you say six more. I was like, I thought you said not six more, Vicky. No. What's one more episode? <laughs> she put a term that, limit on our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if it's not working, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, we, we might just run out of crimes. We, we never know. We will never run out I of know. crimes. Literally. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. Kind of. Not, I mean, I mean it's that's not a horrible I don't want to. Yeah. No, I take that back. I don't want to praise <laughs> any of this. But, like, we'll never be out of a job. Exactly, right? Well, Just like a, a mortician. Hobby. We'll never be out of a we'll hobby. never be out of a job. People be dying. Speaking <laughs> of morticians. <gasps> um, I accidentally segue? Yeah, yeah kind of. Uh, if this is your first show listening, a special hello to you. Hello. Oh. Hello. <laughs> uh, but let's head over to the newsroom. <laughs> How do we get there? So this week, we're in the state of Maryland. Uh, this comes from the Baltimore Banner. Maryland is having some problems, y'all. Have you been there? <laughs> no, no, no. But I most recently, uh, Dr. Donald W. Alves, who is the medical director for the Maryland State Police. Okay. Did okay. some gymnastics there in my brain for a minute. <laughs> um, is being accused of... Uh-oh. Well, okay. <laughs> um, basically, I'm trying to decide how to word this. He... <laughs> was associated with an erectile dysfunction clinic okay mm-hmm. in a way that's not great <laughs> so <sighs> at first he denied that he had any connection to this clinic but then mm-hmm. he later said that he had this business relationship with this clinic that was according to the article run by a convicted felon 
and repeat securities fraud violator. And customers had complained was providing poor treatment and charging steep fees. Uh, (laughs) It's just dick pills. How hard hard is it? Not dick pills. (laughs) Injections. (gasps) Dick injections. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He essentially was like allowing this clinic to use his name um, as Mm. one of their top doctors. And the other thing was he gave – um, like authorization for physicians' assistants to perform injections on the patients, mm-hmm. um, in his name. I mean, essentially, that's. I don't know how it works in Maryland, but that's not that uncommon in some areas to have physicians' physicians' assistants doing some of the like prep preliminary. Maybe it work wasn't stuff. physicians' assistants. It was somebody who's not supposed to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on, let me find. Let me like find the part. receptionist. <laughs> It says the board of physicians received three complaints about the clinic between September 20 and 2020 and January 2021. They said they had been seen not by a doctor, but by non-physician staff. And then so like na- the receptionist. Yeah. <laughs> and the non-physician staff had administered an injection into his penis. And that another customer said their insurance company called the clinic a scam company. Yeah. And he, the doctor Alves, originally told the medical board that he, like, didn't know this clinic, wasn't sure why Mm. they were using his name. And then later he said he had been hired on to work a couple of days a month. And then later said that he had an agreement for the physician's assistant to treat the clinic's clients, calling for the assistants to give the clients injections without seeking permission. From Alves. That's the yeah. problem. <laughs> so it's interesting because this article is like, what? what is... So he resigned, I should also say, um, from the state police. But the article points out that Maryland has actually been in a lot of police controversy at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, said they are talking about the quota system that they have within the state. They are talking about arresting a Western Maryland drug task officer for uh, tipping off a wiretap target in exchange for money. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking about racial discrimination, overdose, death in jail. I mean, it's like, what's going on, Maryland? Not anyway. just crabs. And also, <laughs> the state medical examina- examiner is shilling dick, dick injections. Low-key dick injections. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. So that's the news. <laughs> All right. Don't go to Maryland. Get your crab somewhere else. (laughs) Moving on to Netflix and Kill, which this week is a Hulu and Kill. Because we are talking about... A Hulu done it, if you will. A Hulu done it. Oh, I like that. Ooh, that's good. We're going to have to start using that. Yeah. Uh, Stolen Youth. Ah. Inside the Cult at Sarah Lawrence. This made me... It was a lot. Very upset. <laughs> yeah. It's only about three episodes, I think, mm-hmm. but it was a lot. Like, yes. heavy, heavy, heavy. Mm-hmm. So, essentially, what happens is this man uh, named Ray something, Larry Ray, mm-hmm. moves into this house that his daughter is staying at with a bunch of other sophomores attending on campus on campus attending sarah lawrence college um and 
sort of like starts influencing them in this weird sort of self-help way, Mm -hmm. kind of. But then they all end up moving into this apartment with him where they have a very regimented schedule and he was having sex with one of the college students at that time at that time (laughs) and later yeah i mean it was it's so weird it is so weird just like when you watch it and you look at that man you're just like fucking how if a guy like that walked up to me on the street and i'm like fuck off yeah he just has big fuck off energy about him a lot of mental manipulation Mm -hmm. with like gaslighting these kids into thinking that they had damaged his things and like getting them to admit to these things that they had never done or didn't know about or whatever Mm -hmm. like plots against them oh my gosh yeah um getting them to think that they've been poisoned and that they have also poisoned other people yeah yeah and admitting to it on camera so much recording Mm -hmm. um larry ray himself had already he had just gotten out of jail when he moved into this house for uh i don't even remember what it was it was like something fraud related i think yeah big fraud guy and (laughs) master manipulator yeah and so he was convinced that he was being watched by like the Mm -hmm. fbi and the police and convinced these other people that they were being uh used by these detectives to get back at him for like whistleblowing on this thing and i mean it's just all very strange Mm -hmm. very very strange um and these people have come out of it Uh, i mean it's obviously he's been for the most part for the most part (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. that's true for the most part there was still two women who are struggling deeply Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i mean the people who are no longer like dealing with him have had their own struggles with like contacting their family and their siblings that were in it and like being reunited and there's legal battles and things going through the court system still, you know what I mean? So it's just, I, I don't even know what to say about it. Cause it's just, it's crazy. It renders you fucking speechless because it's like, uh, how, who, what, how? Yeah. 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 He was total manipulator and just, they, oh like, gosh. moved him down to North Carolina at one point. And oh, yeah, it's like, like, work on the farm. And they were just, he was doing so many drugs that he was up, like, 24 yeah. hours and yeah. would, like, get them up to just dig trenches and stuff. Like, fucking out of control bonker shit. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I found really interesting was the sister who had fallen in love uh, with him mm-hmm. and became his girlfriend law wife yeah she says at one point Mm -hmm. um and they the people who made the documentary essentially interviewed her almost immediately after his arrest Mm -hmm. um and then continued interviewing her as she is separating herself from the other woman who is still sort of in it i guess yeah who had charges against her yes Mm -hmm. and sort of going through her own like transformation of kind of figuring shit out and what was real i mean she even she talks about like i don't know what was real and what wasn't real and there's these things so ingrained in my mind and then i think about it and i'm like was that real or was that something that i made up and kind of so sort of watching that mm-hmm. being captured like was a really and in- you don't normally get to see that sort of cycle that they go through after yeah. after getting and out of they didn't like really this. talk to the one woman who was 
still involved for a long time who became a sex worker Mm. and that whole issue with whether or not she was forced to be a sex worker or not Mm -hmm. like they didn't really get that whole entire story from her so yeah and so i believe this is still like working its way through the courts Mm -hmm. but it's a very crazy story horrible tragic like awful Mm -hmm. um but weird and bizarre it kind of reminded me a little bit of um bad vegan where she you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. the manipulation was kind of strange yeah. and very Just complete nonsense secretive, yeah but like you know it it kind of gave me that sort of vibe mm-hmm. of the the sim- like a similar type of manipulation it's just so yeah bonkers to me how people can be manipulated into such extreme like the extreme mm-hmm. not just manipulated into like little yeah. tiny stuff See, and these, these were kids yeah. they were college kids mm-hmm. like these were not, you know, these are people literally in the prime, like, searching for who they are and trying to figure out, like, their place in the world. Like, mm-hmm. what a perfect group because, like, the most impressionable, even at that, like, Jesus so Christ. It's funny because I always thought of myself in that, like, age I know, period. I like, I know. You don't tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I know everything. What has I changed? know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, except we actually know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, if you, I would definitely say it's some heavy shit. Um, yeah. And you're going to be like leaving the like couple episodes like what? Yeah. But it's very, I think it's really worth it. <laughs> I rewatched it because Did I you? was like, I, there's a lot. I'm going to have to go back because I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. You know, like it was just so fucking yeah, it's out a of web. control. Web. Yeah. Uh, so that was Stolen Youth Inside the Cult at Sarah Lawrence on Hulu. Hulu exclusive, I think. Uh, so we're going to move right along. This is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. We're talking about some real heavy shit today. I mean, mine's not at all. Mine is. Mine will be like the nice ending yeah. to That's the- good. Yeah. That's good. Because mine is very... Um, I mean, well, yeah, there is a death, but... <laughs> yeah. We're talking about instances of death, uh, kidnapping, rape, sexual mm-hmm. assaults. I mean, it's like... So, Real banger, as they say. Yeah. So if you don't want to hear about that, just skip ahead like half an hour, oh, 40 Jesus. minutes. <laughs> and listen to, oh, Janelle's, listen to Janelle's episode. Mm-hmm. So I decided that we were going to take a little trip to, honestly, someplace that I really enjoy. That is Philadelphia. Said nobody ever. Philly, baby. <laughs> it's because I don't Home live. of the cheesesteaks. Home of the craziest fucking sports fans this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> it's because I don't live there. You know, exactly. two of my best friends live out there. So I get to visit and then mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. to the not crazy. You don't have to live <laughs> so in fun. it. Yeah, 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 it's a good time. A historical center of, of the nation's birth. <laughs> uh huh? Yeah, <laughs> I know a few things. A historical center of the birth of penitentiaries. Yeah, that's one too. of my favorite places. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we're going to talk about some Philly crime today, mm-hmm. Philadelphia, with whiz or without. Oh God, <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, God. I may have been to Philadelphia. I that Philly times. accent <laughs> is like something else, man. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen. Um, Mayor of East Town, which is very good. Mm-hmm. I have, yeah. That accent. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. I heard I was watching that, I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. transport. <laughs> <laughs> Did a pretty good job. So I am going to talk about Gary Heidnick. 
All right. So Gary Heidnick was born in 1943 and what is probably the first red flag in East Lake, Ohio. Uh, Goddamn Ohio. Yeah. Just outside of <laughs> Cleveland, I believe. Mm-hmm. His parents divorced at a young age and Heidrich initially lived with his mom for a few years, but then moved in with his dad and his dad's new wife. He later claimed that he suffered abuse from his father um, according to Heidrich, Heidrich, he, um, excuse me, Heidnick, he had a major issue with bedwetting as a child mm. and claimed that it was only exacerbated by his father mocking him and hanging the soiled bedsheets in the window for like the neighborhood to see. So dumb. Uh, it's worth noting that Heidnick's father um, denies these allegations. Of course he does. No one wants to admit being an asshole. (laughs) Right. Um, His social life wasn't much better as Heineck was viewed as um, kind of a weird kid. He it's reported that he had this oddly shaped head as a result of falling from a tree Mm -hmm. uh, that sort of made him a target of ridicule. Heidnick rarely interacted with other students um, and he just didn't like make any eye contact with anybody. Now, in 1957, Heinick joined the Staunton Military Academy in Virginia, um, and he attended for two years before returning to high school, but he never graduated. He actually joined the military before graduating, where he actually started to flourish under the strict structure. The Army continuously gave him excellent marks, but when he applied for like special assignments, he was continuously denied. Mm. Eventually, Heidnick transferred to San Antonio, Texas, where he went to train as a medic and then later transferred to the 46th Army Surgical Hospital in Landstuhl, West Germany, where he earned his GED. This has got some similarities to a man who was killing in the military that we looked at not too long ago. This has a lot of similarities to a lot of serial killers uh-huh. in general. <laughs> Uh, so by 1962, Heidnick was diagnosed with gastroenteritis, as well as show- <laughs> how unfortunate, <laughs> yeah, right? as well as showing signs of mental illness. So later the same year, Heidnick was transferred to a military hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder mm. and honorably discharged from the military. Okay, so now he's in Philly. Uh, and he's all kinds of acting crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. They just dropped him off in mm-hmm. Philly. Uh, so after his military career, Heineck enrolled in the University of Pennsylvania, but only attended for one semester. Um, his next venture was working for the VA, but he was fired for attendance and terrible bedside manner. He essentially spent the next 25 years going in and out of psychiatric hospitals, mm. attempting suicide at least 13 times. The rest of his family didn't... Sounded like he needed help from the VA. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, like, it definitely seems like mental illness was something that kind of ran in his family. His mm-hmm. mom was an alcoholic. She later, like, was diagnosed with bone cancer. And because of the alcoholism, she committed suicide in 1970 by drinking mercuric acid. Oh. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidnick's brother, Terry, spent some time in mental institutions as well, and he, like, attempted suicide on several times. So, like, definitely seems like the family as a whole 
really needed help. Yeah. Uh, Heidegg started his next career as a church leader. That is a 180. <laughs> in 1971, at 28 years old, Heineck formed the United Church of the Ministers of God. Word salad. <laughs> Initially beginning with five members and $1,500, the church would eventually grow to around 1550 members with $500,000 in the bank by 1986. And I believe in $2020, it was, that's like $2 million. In oh, 2020 okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In 1976, he has this church, by the way. It's still just like hanging around. I think it's still active. It's hmm. it's not, I don't necessarily think it was like a cult or anything. I think yeah. it was just like a, a church. Church, yeah. In 1976 is when Heineck began his criminal career when he was charged with aggravated assault and carrying a weapon without a license after firing a gun at one of his tenants. <laughs> grazed his cheek <laughs> okay he was also like dating around at this time and he seemed to pick up girlfriends from these various mental institutions that he worked at okay okay so he had a child with his first girlfriend gail Linkow. Um, however, the child was eventually put into foster care because of the mental capacity of the child's mother Heineck would have another child with another girlfriend, Anjanette Davidson, who he met while he was at an institution. Um, the child was also given to foster care as well due to his mother's mental capacity. Mm. Um, Anjanette's sister was also in the same institution. Her name was Alberta Davidson. So Heineck had his next run-in with the law in 1978 when he signed out Alberta on a day pass Took her to his home where he imprisoned her in the basement. Okay. She was later found by authorities and returned to the hospital where, upon examination, it was discovered that she had been raped, sodomized, and contracted gonorrhea. Mm. Heimick was arrested. Well, good. Um, and charged with kidnapping, rape, unlawful restraint, false imprisonment, involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, and interfering with the custody of a committed person. And for all of that, and after some appeals, he did have his original sentence overturned. Um, he ended up serving about three years in mental institutions before being released in 1983. How are we feeling about this so far? I feel like um, uh, there's too much, too much releasing happening going on here. Again, I mean, they put him in like mental institutions, but it doesn't really sound like not for long enough. Yeah. Shortly after being released from custody, Heineck began communicating with Betty Disto, who is a woman that he met through a matrimonial service in the Philippines. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going there. Okay. Yes. Yep. So they communicated back and forth for two years. And then Disto traveled to the U.S. to marry Heineck. But the marriage did not last long, like at all, um, because Heineck is a terrible person. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I would uh, say so. It was reported that he would force Disto to watch while he had sex with other women, sometimes mm. forcing her to get involved. Disto, luckily, was able to ha find help within the Filipino community. 
and they like helped her escape essentially oh, from his house. And then she almost immediately went to the police and told them that he had raped her and forced her into all of these, you know, sexual assault situations essentially. Mm-hmm. And Heineck was charged with assault, indecent assault, spousal rape, and involuntary deviant sexual intercourse for that. Now, later in 1986, on Thanksgiving, Heineck picked up 25-year-old Josefina Rivera, who was working on the streets. The two had stopped at McDonald's before Heineck drove the pair back to his house on North Marshall Street. When they arrived, Rivera noticed that he had this, like, weird lock on his door okay um and he had pulled out his keys and he only had half a key so what he had done is he had split the key in half and left the other half in the lock to his door Mm -hmm. so that the only people that could get in was somebody who had the other half of the key which was he only he had the only other half of that key or a locksmith or a locksmith who has all the tools but you know take that apart but yeah (laughs) Um, not that smart are you (laughs) yeah so the two Went upstairs and had sex uh, in Heidnick's bedroom. And then when they were finished, Rivera was getting dressed and getting ready to leave. And Heidnick attacked the woman um, and then put her into a pit that he had dug in his basement. Okay, that's not great for the structure of your home, first of all, sir. (laughs) The pit was then boarded up with just like left little bits of light like coming through the the boards of the what pit. year was this um was so this 80s? was in 1986 okay so before silence of the land yeah after. so that is partially <laughs> based off of okay this <laughs> you said that and i was like hold yes. on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. just over 24 hours later heidnick capped uh kidnapped 25 year old sandra Lindsay from the elwin institute taking her home and putting her into the pit with Rivera. Later, he forced Lindsay to write a letter to her mother saying that she had left the Institute voluntarily. Mm -hmm. But her mother was like pretty skeptical and reported her missing to the police immediately. And they, she even gave them Heidnick's address, but they were Mm -hmm. kind of like, this is just like a runaway. Mm -hmm. Um, She had gotten shortly after a, I think like a Christmas card with like $5 in it from you know quote unquote from Mm -hmm. Lindsay, and so the police were like she just ran away it's fine you know 80s shit Mm -hmm. yeah while rivera and Lindsay were being held captive uh heidnick repeatedly raped and tortured and starved both women i'm not gonna go into heavy detail because it's Mm -hmm. just a fucking lot but it was not a good situation Mm -hmm. just under a month later on december 22nd heidnick found 17-year-old Lisa Thomas walking along the side alongside the road to a friend's house thinking she was a sex worker he tried to pick her up but she wasn't she was not and got like offended and so he's like oh I'm so sorry like let me give you a ride to wherever you're going Mm -hmm. so he gave her a ride to this friend's house waited for her to come out um and somehow talked her into going to dinner they later went back to Heidnick's house where he gave Thomas a drugged glass of wine. While she was unconscious, he raped her before putting her into the pit with the other two women. So around this time, Heidnick appointed Rivera a sort of like boss 
of the other women. Um, She had been in captivity the longest and eventually began working with Heidnik to like watch over the women and convince him that like, I'm on your side, like to get better treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, She was also forced to help him in torturing some of these other women. It was definitely like a very Stockholm type situation. It seemed to me where she Mm -hmm. was just trying to like survive. Yeah. Um, So she kind of is put in charge of like reporting on what the other women are doing while Heidnik is not there Mm -hmm. essentially. Just two weeks later, Heidnik kidnapped 19-year-old Deborah Dudley and forced her into the pit with the others. On January 18th, 1987, Heidnik abducted 18-year-old Jacqueline Askins, placing her in the pit. Uh, Then on, uh, by February 1987, Sandra Lindsay passed away. Uh, mainly from starving. He had been withholding food from her. And when he went to feed her again, she was dead. Mm. So Heidnik hauled her body upstairs where it was um, dismembered. And then allegedly some of it was cooked and ground and mixed into dog meat that was later fed to the other women downstairs. Mm. Um, The only reason I include that is because there's some speculation as to whether that actually happened or if that is details that Heidnik included later Mm. when he was trying to plead insanity. Gotcha. So there is some question as to whether that happened or whether he like told the women that Mm -hmm. happened at the time to Mm -hmm. make them believe that they were like, you know, um, to mess with them psychologically or if, yeah, he just embellished for like his insanity defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Heidnik continued his torture and abuse. He eventually killed Deborah Dudley as well after he poured water into the pit and then ran electricity to the shackles that they were wearing and she was electrocuted to death. Mm -hmm. Um, He had forced Rivera to help him on this occasion. So she was not actually down there um, with the rest of the women. He then took Dudley's body and hid it in the or disposed of it in the New Jersey Pine Barrens. Mm -hmm. Big place where uh, the mafia would drop people off too Mm -hmm. and supposedly where there's a cryptid yes that's more (laughs) what i know it's a cryptid um rivera had worked really hard to convince heinick that she was working with him at this Mm. point and he was letting her into the house a little bit more and occasionally she was even accompanying him on like trips out of the house okay but on march 24th uh, 1987, Heidnik took Rivera and drove around Philadelphia where they found 24-year-old Agnes Adams. The two kidnapped the woman, forcing her into the pit as well. But later that night, somehow, Rivera managed to talk Heidnik into letting her go to visit her family just for like a short time, like a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. He agreed and drove her to a nearby gas station that was like kind of by her boyfriend's house. And she had children too. Um, so it was kind of by her boyfriend's house. And he was like, I'm going to wait at this gas station. You go for a couple of minutes and then come back and I'll wait here for you. As soon as she was out of sight, she went to the nearest payphone and called 911. Mm-hmm. And the police showed up, heard her story, like saw the shackle marks and stuff on her arms and legs. And went to the gas station and arrested Heidnik immediately. 
when they arrived at his house, police discovered the women being kept in his basement along with uh, Sandra Lindsay's forum in the freezer and other evidence of the dismemberment. Um, police also arrested a man named Cyril Brown, who claimed to be Heidenick's best friend. He received a $50,000 bail and agreed to testify against Heidenick, admitting that he was witness to both Lindsay's death and dismemberment. So there was this oh. like friend of his just like hanging out yeah if i walked in and you were like taking apart someone i'd be like this is where i slowly back up and leave (laughs) uh so when (laughs) when heidnick finally made it to court he said the women were already in the house like when i moved in even if that was true yeah you had the opportunity to let them go yeah and they so they were in the house for four months like total he had these women trapped in his basement he was just like they were just there when I moved in, which is also really fucked up that you would yeah. not say anything. Like what? I, it, like I don't. Uh, again, unless it was like something he said to aid his insanity defense. Mm-hmm. But like, so anyway, they they definitely tried to to prove his attorneys tried to prove that Heidnick was insane, legally insane. But remember that religion he started? Yeah, <laughs> vaguely. He <laughs> so he opened accounts under the name of his church with uh like Merrill Lynch um okay and the attorneys um the prosecuting attorneys basically said that the fact that he was able to accumulate around $550,000 in a brokerage account and like invest it was enough to prove that he was a smart investor that knew what the fuck he was doing. Yeah, that means you're not insane. Yeah. And they even had a guy from Merrill Lynch like testify I have it. no idea what you just said. Yeah. So maybe I'm insane. Yeah. (laughs) They had a guy from Merrill Lynch testify like, um, yeah, like he came in and was talking to me about investments and like was totally competent. So like I Mm -hmm. wouldn't have any impression that he's insane at all. Yeah. But then there's also that argument to play the stock market and to do finances. You have to be crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, they they basically said, uh, no, that's not going to fly. And on July 1st, 1988, Heinick was found guilty of two counts of first degree murder, six counts of kidnapping, five counts of rape, four counts of aggravated assault, and two counts of involuntary deviate sexual intercourse and sentenced to death. In 1997, Heinick's daughter and ex-wife... Uh, attempted to get a state two of... separate people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two separate people. Because they could his daughter for him, and it could also be one his person. ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this was the uh, I believe the s- second child that okay. he had with the woman who was institutionalized. Mm. Um, so her and her daughter attempted to get a state of execution due to mental incompetence. Um, But after two years of litigation, it was denied. Mm. And on July 6th, 1999, Heydrich was executed by lethal injection in Belafonte, Pennsylvania. Um, And he was actually the, as of last year, the last person to be executed in the state of Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. So. Didn't know that. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting because I think they still have the death penalty or they're working to get it overturned. So they haven't mm. had any um, death, especially with the um, 
Well, I guess that's just the Philadelphia DA. Anyway, <laughs> Krasner, <laughs> Krasner, is, Krasner is the best. But that is the story of Gary Heidnick. Well, then. It's a lot. This is, I see, at least it's short, so it didn't have torture you for too long. Unlike those women. That was a poor choice of word. I'm sorry. Yeah. Y'all, <laughs> listen. It's my nap time. You need sensitivity training, I'm a- Vicky. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So we're going to go back to the glamour days of Philadelphia, which I know is hard to imagine Philadelphia as being glamorous. Um, But I want you to remember that it is the first stop from New York to Chicago on the mafia train. So you have New York, Philadelphia, Cleveland, Chicago. Those are the hot spots. So, yes, Philadelphia was glamorous in the height of the mafia era, which is where we're going to be hitting a little bit. Okay. Um, there is a lot of mafia action in Philly. It's mafia adjacent, obviously. (laughs) Um, but we're going to talk about like the late fifties, early sixties. This is about a dame and a henchman and the most famous burglary in Pennsylvania history. It's the Pottsville burglary. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is right up your alley, girl. Especially if you look at the, the photos that were taken. So I used a book called... Oh, gosh, what's it called? True Crime Philadelphia. And it had some great stuff in there. And then also, um, oh, what did I, where, did, where did I look this up? Temple University's Digital Library. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> also, also had amazing photographs. Okay. So. Wait, did now, you say Temple? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I know. As as someone mm-hmm. who works at a university, I have access to a lot of other university um, libraries. So. I don't know when this episode is going to come out and if the strike is going to be resolved by then, but I just want to say that as a podcast, mm-hmm. we stand with the Temple TAs. Yes, I stand with all TAs, yeah. as I have been a TA. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If we're going to take a stand on something, mm-hmm. it might as well be this. Also, the SAIC adjuncts who are also uh, picketing yeah. for, like, fair wages, and health insurance, you know. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Not a political podcast. Got to bring that back around. Now, this story starts in Philly. It's going to take a swerve to Pottsville, and then it's going to come back around again. So... (laughs) Okay, we're Pottsville. gonna be all over into the Pottsville you know, is such it's a an suburb, okay? Like, town name, yeah. <laughs> so we're starting with the temptress of the whole story, whose name is Lillian Reyes, and Lillian Reyes was considered a bombshell of her time period. Very Ava Gardner, very is this um, the woman in the Vivian fringe? Lee? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. She started dancing as a chorus girl in her teens in the late 40s and 50s. And if you're not familiar, a chorus girl was a really highly sought after job as it was really, really glamorous. It was movie star adjacent. You would have 
many a people coming in and out to watch these shows. It was the main form of entertainment, even more so than movies. That sounds fun. And you could meet many a rich man dancing and singing in a theater. Oh, yeah. And she did. She met many a rich men, and she had many a sugar daddies. Well. Girl. Um, She would be showered with gifts, jewelry, and just straight up literal piles of cash. Okay. And you made good money as a chorus girl, especially if you were in one of the higher end productions. Yeah. It's estimated that in her time as a chorus girl, she was given <laughs> $1.3 million in today's money. Oh, my God. Yeah. Damn. That was money and jewelry. Damn. Yes. In 1959, the 29-year-old former chorus girl was juggling a few boyfriends, just enjoying her life, not working, being super glamorous. Get it. It's like my dream. Uh- <laughs> Like a stay-at-home wiener dog mom with a little bit of, like, chorus girl <laughs> accents, you know. stay-at-home wiener dog mom. Yeah. Nice. Aspirations. Yes. <laughs> Listen, just um, manifest it. Right? The I universe like, will provide. I need, like, three more wiener dogs to make that happen. <laughs> um, so she was dating a few older gentlemen at this time, and one gentleman included the 53-year-old Clyde Bing Miller. Okay. <laughs> oh, Bingy. Oh, Bingy. Um, he was an engineer. He was lovesick with this woman and wanted to give her, like, literally all of his money. Like, not even kidding, to his detriment, was giving her so much money. Oh, my God. He paid for her apartment. He paid for a maid to take care of her apartment. He gave her multiple mink coats. Okay. He gave her... Sugar zadza. Everything. Yeah. He was like, oh, you're my number one love. And he had a family, okay? I feel like this was not uncommon. Not at all. Especially <laughs> if you got the money to just be like, shower it with gifts. gifts exactly. Gifts. Yeah. Now, her full-time lover, however, oh. was named Ralph Jr. Stano. Was he okay with all this? And he was a Philly mobster. Oh, God. So he was very okay with this. <laughs> he was two years younger than her. So Ooh. he worked with the K&A gang and the Scarfo outfit, but primarily he was the lowest level just kind of bum in these organizations, you know, just a street guy. He was a stocky boxer type and he loved Ray's and loved, like truly loved her. Like this is the true mobster dame, 1960s movie star relationship. That's adorable. Yes. Um, And he could never really fully give as much to her as he wanted to. He wanted her to have no sugar daddies. He wanted to be the one to be able to give her all the money, but he just couldn't being in the lowest part of the organization. Yeah. Now, his two buds, Vincent Blaney and Robert Poulsen, were part of the K&A gang, and they often were rolling people over and burglarizing them, and Stana would occasionally assist with these endeavors. So he was kind of just like helping out, doing a few things here and there, beating people up for money, you know. You know. He wasn't a bad-looking dude. Yeah. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) You're a mobster? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, Now, Clyde Miller, raises sugar daddy number one, worked with a guy on occasion named John Rich. Now, John Rich was the owner of a strip mining company. In fact, the largest strip mining company in all of Pennsylvania. Ooh. His last name was super fitting, too, because he was also the richest dude in Pennsylvania at the time. (laughs) Um, Now, according to the book True Crime Philadelphia, uh, Clyde Miller told Rays about Rich's money that he had hid in his home. Now, this book is... I don't know if it's 100%. I wouldn't say accurate. 
I don't know if it's 100% true to the story because it takes from a bunch of people who are involved um, who are all just finger pointing at each other. Sure, sure. Take the quotes with a grain of salt. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, He stated that Rich only let the government know about half the money he was making and he hid the rest in his home. This will be a point of contention later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Rich um, was on vacation with his wife in Europe in August of 1959 when someone or someones broke into his home in Pottsville after 8 p.m. $478,000 in U.S. currency and $17,000 worth of jewelry were taken from a safe, which had been peeled by the burglars. Now, if you're not familiar with that and you don't watch enough mafia no. slash, Definitely you know, not. like this is my last job heist movie, that means that they take a safe and chip away one of the edges and peel back the steel and open the rest of it like a banana. <laughs> uh, okay. So it's exactly what it sounds like. Yep. <laughs> okay. On the afternoon of August 8th, 1959, the caretaker entered the house and found that someone had broken in and forced open the door of the safe. So they came in early hours in the morning, left, took their shit, and the caretaker came in and was like, holy shit. They had broken in through the kitchen back door, which is the main door that the caretaker would come through. Okay. The caretaker informed the son of John B. Rich, then also, who then also called the police. Um, when the investigation was made, it was discovered that two pillowcases upstairs had been removed um, from the main bed, and Mr. Rich's wife's uh, jewels had been taken. It was also later discovered that they took paperwork, which wound up being stocks and bonds and things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the fucking weird part, okay? The two were on vacation in Europe. This happened on August 8th. They were notified, and they didn't come back until after Labor Day. That's September, y'all. That's a full month. Okay. Now, the son reported it to the police. They came and did the initial investigation, but didn't move on it until the couple returned from Europe. Why? Now, here's the other issue. He said that he was missing only $17,000 in cash and $3,500 in banknotes and then the whatever quantity it was for the jewelry, $17,000 in jewelry. So together, that made, what, $34,000 in assets and $3,500 in banknotes. And And in the reality... $478,000 were taken. So he was saying less was taken than was actually there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, shortly after this robbery, Willie and Ray's bought a nightclub called the Celebrity Room and opened it with a lavish, roaring 1920s party complete with flappers and champagne fountains, which is the picture you were talking about, the girl Mm -hmm. in the French. Mm -hmm. Um, she claimed that she had saved tons of money from all of her sugar daddies and her chorus, her chorus girl checks to purchase the nightclub. That's what she was working towards. So she bought the club. She was the owner and she was having amazing shows and raking nice. in a lot of cash. Nice. Now, in January of 1960, Richard Francis Blaney, who was a brother of Vincent Blaney, who was Ralph Steno's best friend, okay. if you recall from the beginning. Lots of names here. Yes. He was infatuated with Captain Ferguson of the Philadelphia Detective Bureau. Okay. He wanted desperately to be a G-man, but he was just, you know, a street guy 
who did some crimes, but was like, you know, it'd be really cool to be a G-man. Yeah. Um, so much so he was obsessed with this guy that he sold his own brother out to get out of a small arrest issue. Oh, damn. <laughs> he told Ferguson that his brother and two accomplices were the ones who robbed Rich's house with a tip from a woman. Okay. So the police attempted to set up a sting to get all of these people. Okay. Now, Robert Poulsen was one of the first. He was one of the burglars with, supposedly, the guys that night. He was arrested and on April 3rd, 1960, gave a complete statement to the police in which he implicated the two appellants in the case. This is from a a, a juror, like a, a jury site. Okay. Um, that it was weird. Um, <laughs> um, he gave complete details of the crime, allegedly. So he was saying, no, it wasn't me, it was the other guys. No, he was saying he was there with the other guys. Oh. He also stated that Lillian Ray's and her sugar daddy were the ones who started the whole thing by conversing about it. Okay. Now, according to Poulsen, this is how the night went. And this is from the True Crime Philadelphia book. Um, 8 p.m., they pulled up to the home and sat on the street waiting to see if there was anyone coming or going. After some time, they entered the home through the kitchen. Upon entering, they went into the basement where the safe was and took action peeling back the sides. The safe was so stuffed with cash that they had a hard time getting it out. Okay. They had to take two pillowcases from upstairs to carry all the money in addition to the bags that they brought. While upstairs, they also stole bonds and jewelry from um, the dresser. They then left the home and went to a strip club for a bit. That's why. <laughs> right? Um, where they did brag to strippers about how much money they had. Uh, they didn't say where they got it, but they did brag to the strippers. The men immediately started spending the cash. Now, well, then. when the trial started, this person, Robert Poulsen, recanted his confession. So just keep that in mind. He said that everything that he said was not true. Um, Rich Blaney became a star witness as he was the first to tip off the police. And then Poulsen also originally was a star witness when then he recanted. So um, they were deciding not to put him on the stand anymore. <laughs> um, uh, smart. But the Blaney's became a target because they were associated with the Philadelphia mob. He was effectively a rat. Yeah. He was ratting it's out other good, mobsters. Not a good situation. Um, Rich Blaney became very, very paranoid about being killed. And unfortunately, he had a lot of reasons to be scared. So, oh boy. If you have the document open, you can take a look at the next photo. In 1960, Poulsen was shot, but survived. Six months later, in 1961, Vincent Blaney was murdered. And then in July of 1961, on Rich Blaney's birthday, he went to get into his two-tone sedan dressed up to celebrate his birthday. He went to start the car for a family trip when it exploded. Yeah. It definitely... It exploded. I was trying to figure... I was looking at this picture trying to figure out what it was. It looks a little it, bit like a car accident, but then when you look harder... Well, it almost looks like a plane <laughs> crash. Yeah. But, so, no, that thing is not a car. Mm-hmm. Three sticks of dynamite oh were packed into the car, forcing an explosion upward into That's the sky. so much dynamite. Which was actually a really good thing that they did it that way, because if it would have exploded outward, how close the street is and how close the houses are... Other people would have died. Oh, true. His wife, Joni, was inside with their nine-month-old son, and they were getting ready to go on a trip when the car exploded, and it caused all of the windows in their home to break. Oh, my God. The street. Jeez. Now, a man named John Burkery was arrested for the attempted murder of Poulsen and the two murders of the Blaney brothers. He was an associate of... Ralph Steno, the KNA gang, the Scarfo f- crime family. Yeah. Um, but it's not exactly known who ordered him 
to attempt to kill Poulsen oh or God. the Blaney brothers. Dude, mob shit is so Stano shady. was never a no one tried to kill him, allegedly. We don't know. Um, but he was fine. He never no one tried to shoot him or blow up his oh shit. But also John Burkery was arrested before his case came to trial. So who knows oh if God. he would have been murdered. Right. Now Rothstino Jr. was obviously arrested and tried and it was a little so this is this is where things get a little weird. So he was tried for burglary and larceny. He was questioned for three days. Okay. He was repeatedly like bullied and they were trying to get a confession out of him. Now he had he kept saying he had no idea what they were talking about. He doesn't know what they were talking about. The police um then read to him the confession from Poulsen and he didn't even react. Um, then they took him to Pottsville and made him stand outside of the home that was burglarized, allegedly, oh. by him. And again, he said nothing. They stood him in the street and they were like yelling at him, like being belligerent. Oh, my. So he went to trial purely based off of eyewitness accounts, supposedly, of him being in areas and then the confession of Poulsen. Now, this gentleman named Alfred Ronconi testified that he knew Ralph Stano well and that in January or February of 1960, Stano came to his place of business with a sum of money contained in a shirt box. Stano asked Ronconi to take the money to the bank and have it changed into $100 bills. That, in accordance with the request, he took the money to a teller to the bank with whom he was like, acquainted with so he yeah. knew this person personally and there they exchanged the money for hundred dollar bills and the amount of that wound up being ten thousand dollars there was more money in a separate box the amount unknown but the teller refused to change more than the ten thousand okay. dollars um because then that would require a signature of the owner of the money yeah um so he returned the ten thousand dollars in um $100 bills, and then the unexchanged money he left in the box and gave back to Sano. They also called the banker and testified, yes, I exchanged this money. Interesting. I like that, like, yeah, I'll step over the line, but not too much. Yeah. Not to, <laughs> I don't want to break any bank rules. <laughs> yeah, because then that person would have to show up flagged, and sign, yeah. and then, you know, obviously the money wasn't tracked because that guy said that he didn't have it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> True, true. And also, if he alone had $10,000 and they split everything evenly, obviously, there's more than $34,000. Right, right. Mm. <laughs> so, math. Now, Lillian Reese also went to trial as a co-conspirator in the entire thing. And during her trial, the purchase of the nightclub came up. And her friends testified saying that she was an avid saver and... One woman who lived with her said that she had $30,000 in cash under her bed in a shoebox. So <laughs> okay. uh, one of her other friends that she worked with as a chorus girl before she bought the club also said that money would literally, men would throw money at her literally. Yeah. Like get, just yeah. give her stacks of cash. Right? <laughs> like, oh, you're so beautiful. Yeah. Here's a stop, hundreds. Stop, stop. Throw it at yeah. your face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, the jury 
in the Lillian Ray's trial ended in a hung jury in 1961. The prosecutors would take two years, but they would get back to court in 1963 to try her again. Okay. They would not quit her. They could not quit her. <laughs> in 1963, Lillian Ray's was arrested in a sting operation while they were getting her second trial up. An undercover police officer gave her fake money at the club that she was at. And said to her that it was fake, and she accepted the cash. This was a bit of a precarious situation, and I was. It doesn't sound like it actually happened, right? That sounds fake. Yeah. Um, But she was arrested, and her club and home were searched. They didn't find anything, but they were trying to like get her in many different ways to show that she was a criminal. So Mm -hmm. when they were going into the second trial, they could say, "Well, she was arrested after the fact." For all of these things. Yeah. It didn't go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But they tried. Yeah. So she was, you know, she did the second trial and ultimately was convicted, as was Stano. In 1969, this is how, so they went to jail. In 1969, one of the confessions was thrown out during an appeals process. And that caused a chain of events So after copious amounts of appeals, so from 1963 to 1969, appeals, 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 they were finally, like, their convictions were overturned in 1970. Okay. Because that confession was thrown out, and there was no other evidence against them. Yeah. Right? So, like, they couldn't track the cash. She never actually, they never actually found any money or anything. Do you think she had anything to do with it? I don't know if they actually stole from him. Yeah. So I'll give you my theory at the end. (laughs) There was a lot of conflicting information regarding these trials. And it was very, very hard to wade through the opinions and the facts. Yeah. Because this is like peak, like people talking shit era. Right. Yeah. 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 And a lot of those like overblown headlines and sort of. Yeah. 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 So altogether, the three trials amongst them, because she had two trials, he had one, mm. took 10 years and cost the state $50,000. Oh, my God. Um, now, after... Hope it was worth it. Right? After Lillian Reyes and Ralph Stano were released from jail, they got married. Oh. And they moved to Florida. Oh. I know. Like, I oh. love that for them. <laughs> yes. The pair would stay together for 54 years. Oh, my God. That's adorable. Like, I want to cry. It's so cute. Now, the unfortunate part was Ralph Stano would go to jail oh. on a racketeering charge related to the Scarfo gang, and oh, he was in hell. jail for 21 years, Oh, fuck. but they stayed together. That's adorable. Though. When he was released, he went back to Florida to live with Lillian Reyes, and oh. she died in 2009 at age 79, and he died in 2015. Oh. Now, here's my thoughts and, and feelings on this. Okay. So there was actually the guy, Mr. Rich. Do you remember him? Yeah. He was actually um, convicted on some tax evasion charges of yeah. a d- about a decade after the... Was he... He was the one who was on vacation when this was yes. stolen. Yes. Okay. Okay. So here's my thoughts and opinions. I think he set up his home to be burglarized. Okay. To get out of having to claim the money that he had yeah because people were already on him about tax evasion oh and i think he hired someone related to the philadelphia mob and i think it might have been those guys that were murdered yeah i don't know if ralph stano was involved and i don't necessarily know if lillian Reyes was involved either but 
I think that that guy who was her sugar daddy went to her and asked her if she knew anybody who would do this. Yeah. And she said yes. And she probably asked her boyfriend, who then asked the K&A gang guys. Yeah. If they would do a fake heist, basically. Steal the money from his home. Yeah. And then return it back and get to keep some. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think happened. I definitely get like a vibe like something is not right with all of it like something is kind of amiss and even when you had initially talked about him being overseas and being gone when all of this was happening i was immediately saying anything when he came back a month later yeah that's why i think he was in on it i immediately was like yeah this sounds like um almost like insurance fraud right or something like like Mm -hmm. yeah like a setup and when you get bonds and stocks stolen and you have insurance on them Mm -hmm. you get more money yeah, exactly. So, and then the jewelry has insurance on it. Yeah. Which you always claim more than it's worth. Right. So he was going to make money from this, hide money. Yeah. And then throw a couple thousand dollars to some schmucks to fucking right. steal some stuff. Yeah. So that what seems I think, more, most, most yeah. probable. What I think happened is Ralph Stano, Lillian Rays, and Bing Miller were the ones who set up this fake sting. That's my phone, sorry. Who <laughs> set up this fake sting, had his buddies do it. And then they were going to start talking shit so that they wouldn't go to jail. And then the Philly mob was like, shut it down. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about rich guys, most of them have some sort of affiliations with the mafia. Right. right. Or crime, organized crime. Interesting. But that is the Pottsville burglary, the most famous burglary in all of Pennsylvania. And there are some amazing pictures of like Lillian Ray's and Ralph Stano getting married. There's these beautiful glamour shots yeah. of her. There's pictures of her opening her club. Like the True Crime Philadelphia book is really good. Yeah. That's just that's just one story in it. That's There's cool. lots of other stories. So that's cool. check it out. <laughs> nice. Uh well, before you I don't know. Commit a heist. <laughs> Commit a heist. Maybe check out this podcast. We're the Vocal Fries. I'm Carrie. And I'm Megan. And we have a podcast about linguistic discrimination. We talk about language, not being a jerk, not judging people for the way that they speak, and we try to have a good time. We talk about things like vocal fry, swearing, Southern American English, and prescriptive grammar. You can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. All right, guys, that has been our episode. Uh, what do we got, Janelle, coming up? We will have a live show coming up at the end of this year in November in Rockford with Haunted Rockford. The details are still being hammered out. Um, but we will be doing another live show with a bunch of cool, spooky people as well. So It'll be a good time. Yeah, keep keep your eyes peeled yeah. for that. Appealed. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Uh, Cool. That sounds fun. Thanks, Janelle. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, On that note, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zaszewski, the Enigma. (laughs) This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. See you later, kids. Kids. It's my good, it's my mafia voice. If I knew how to do a Philly accent, I would, but I can't, I can't even, I will butcher. Yeah. All it's, I know is like, weird... if you say wit whiz, you I say like that's, is, that is water. 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 That's close. It's a wooter. <laughs> yeah. They call it wooter ice. <laughs>
I've never understood. We that. want to publicly apologize to the entire city of Philadelphia no. and even the no, state of Pennsylvania. Why, why would I? Why would I? For the horrible accents that we were unable to do. Oh my god. 